Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. I have a, a special guest this week. She's a lady who is the producing artistic director for American Blues Theater, Gwendolyn Whiteside. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, great. Tell us about It's a Wonderful Life at the Biograph, because I must say, uh, over the years, there've been there have been several productions of it. Your guys' production is the only one I go to because I think by far it's the best. Oh my gosh, you've made my day. Well, we started out in 2002. Um, our ensemble and the former artistic director Damon Kiley uh, put together a staged reading of "It's a Wonderful Life," and it was just a one-night event in 2002, and. Uh, it was sold out. People loved it. And then we thought, well, goodness, the next year we should try it again. <laughs> so in uh, the following year, 2003, um, we brought it back again. And this time we did a three-night event. Um, so for three nights, we did uh, the staged reading of it. And again, it was sold out and people loved it. And everyone kept saying you should do it as a full-blown production. So in 2004, we put it in our subscription series. And Marty Higginbotham directed it. Previously, he had been in it as an actor. So he directed the stage version of it um, and added his directorial elements, which were just fantastic. That includes the audiograms, which gets participation from audience members, the uh, cookies and milk after the show. That was his idea as well. And he added in singing the Christmas carols and holiday carols at the beginning and just making the entire experience as an old time radio show from the, from the moment you walk in, you feel that it's that studio vibe. And then from there, we've just not stopped. It's become sort of the staple of our programming. It really matches the mission um, and the heart of our ensemble. So we expect to be doing this for another 80 years. <laughs> well, you know what's fantastic about it is um, uh, the warmth and, and the heart that the show still has. It's just as fresh. I've, I think I go back, I don't know if I, 203, but, but I did see 04, and I mm -hmm. loved it from there. And I and me, among others, said, boy, this has got to be a tradition. People love the show, and it's, yeah. it's so much fun. Well, that was the first show I saw. I was in Los Angeles during 2002 and 2003. And so I came back to Chicago, and that was um, the first time I had even seen the story. I'd never even seen the movie. Well, so you're, you're I, with my young reviewer who had not ever oh, seen the movie or the show, and he was with me the other night when we saw your uh -huh. show, and he was blown away by it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was my experience, too. And I had, you know, as everyone does in life, you have these moments in your life where you really are up against some challenges, and that was what was going on in mine. And so I see this show, and there were certain moments in the story that just resonated. Uh, you know, the tell me, you know, I'm on my last leg, I'm at the end of my rope, those type of things, those sentiments, they were delivered so purely by Jim Lemming at the time Yeah. that it just struck a chord, and I was bawling in my seat. And I, and I said afterwards at an ensemble meeting, one of the best shows we've ever done and it's it i think the reason it's so fresh every year is because uh just in life pain <laughs> happens every year <laughs> and out of respect to what anyone in the audience might be feeling we want to make sure that we're telling the story for them and but, but i and think I, a lot of it's atmosphere that you guys create too from 
the moment you walk upstairs of the Richard Christensen Studio Theater upstairs of, at the Biograph, uh, there's this feeling of warmth, and, and it's like you're going into someone's parlor. Well, that's great. Thank you. You know, the cast Thank members you. are, many of them are up on stage, and, and, and the whole the whole radio play format. I'm just old enough to have seen one live radio format when they were still doing radio here in Chicago when I was a very little kid in the 50s. So I kind of remember that, and 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 uh, you guys certainly captured it. Oh, great! Well, that's Marty and his dramaturgical work. He directs this with such precision. It, it, it truly is. It truly is a, a a sight to to watch him work with actors. And I've been fortunate. I've been in it three years now, and I've never seen a radio show. I've listened to them. Uh, Marty wanted us all to listen to it to actually hear the voices. And we've practiced um, many times in rehearsals of not even looking at our scene partners, so we can just listen to the voice. And and uh, it, it it moves us just the fact that that radio can inspire. It's it's like when you read a book and then you see the movie, and and you never it, it the book is always better because your imagination fills in the the, the blank mm-hmm. section. And that's what a radio show does too. And I love the uh, the folio art too. That that adds so much to it. And seeing it oh, live yeah. on stage, people get a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, as for actors, it, it's quite a challenge because each of you are playing you know, a ton of different roles. Mm-hmm. How, how do you prepare for that? Because I know you you you've been playing Mary, but don't you do some other? Doesn't everybody? I do. I I do Mob Bailey. And um, I do marry at different ages of her life. I feel like I have one of the easier tracks. There are some of our um, actors who play anywhere from eight characters to, you know, 14 characters just by changing the voice. Quite possibly one of the most talented actors uh, is John Morline. Oh, yeah. And, I was just, you scooped me on that. I was just going to mention it. He's been, <laughs> isn't he, hasn't he been in it from the beginning? Has. This is his tenth year of being in It's a Wonderful Life, and I kid you not, Tom, he has never missed one performance. And I probably need to knock on wood right now, but he has never missed a performance. Even if he's feeling under the weather, he comes in. He has missed car accidents so many times. He's seen them, he's been in them, and he still makes it to the show. Something about <laughs> the old-time Chicago actors. Uh, Dale Benson told me that that in 50 years of being an equity actor, he missed one performance, and that was to get an award. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, the integrity. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. and John is a, is a great villain. He plays Mr. Yes, Potter. Yeah. So tell it, us it, a little about the story for those few people who have not seen the movie. By the way, I was flipping channels and got three times this week it's been on. Oh, has it? Oh, yeah. that's great. Which can probably um, only help you guys. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe, certainly. Um, well, the show is uh, about George Bailey, who lives in Bedford Falls, which is a, a small town. And he has always dreamed of getting out and going to a larger city and exploring the world. And due to um, unfortunate circumstances with his family, he's not allowed to go outside of his town. He has to take responsibility of a family business, and he stays. And then sort of the family business has a couple of 
problems and the money that is misplaced. And it just it just weighs on his shoulders, and he contemplates um, killing himself. And then afterwards, we we uh, encounter an angel who comes down to save his life and show him how important his life really has been to all the people who he's encountered. And it's just a beautiful story um, yes. uh, about yeah, how. Frank Capra's gems. It's the movie he said he always wanted to make. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And I think it's so relatable because, honestly, if you are a human being, you are going to experience pain on this world. You're also going to experience some of the, the best highs ever of just of love and what that is. But I think everyone can relate, and everyone is George Bailey or Mary Bailey at some point in their life. Um, either the the part about um, sort of wishing that life could be better, or the part about celebrating how great your life is—we all get the the highs and lows. Yeah, and George reminds us that that sometimes we we've had a better life than we thought we had because we always yeah. tend to. It's the American dream to sort of tend to go after everyone needs to be great when sometimes yeah. just just living life is enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tom. Absolutely, absolutely. That sometimes our our dreams are a little bit bigger than what reality needs to be. <laughs> but isn't it amazing how this show, uh, I, I assume it's still doing very well. Because every time oh, I've yeah. gone, and this time yeah. I did not go on your opening night, and I kind of on purpose because I wanted to uh, to experience, you know, it's a different kind of audience than the, that, than the opening mm-hmm. night. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, there was more energy in, in the audience I was at than most opening night audiences. Oh, that's great. Which is a great that's sign, yeah. Yeah, we sell out. It is. It, it's one of those things. that's word of mouth because you know we're we're a very small theater and and we don't have uh, a lot of money for marketing and so we're dependent on word of mouth and people coming back saying, oh my gosh, I saw it last year and this time I brought my whole family. And for us, we uh, of course what theater doesn't appreciate good reviews, but I think the thing that means the most to us are people coming back every year and making it part of their family's tradition because it's part of our family's tradition the, the the blues family and so to have another family say this is what you know my my spouse and our kids do every year it just it makes us so happy yesterday last night's performance a couple from quad cities iowa drove four hours to see the show because they had been hearing about it and they spent the night in a hotel last night um it just if someone would do that that they would bring their family that that far in. Just, That's oh a long God. ride to have to have yeah. milk and cookies after a show. I know, <laughs> I know. And we didn't we didn't know prior, and thankfully we we read their audiogram, so it was worth it as well. <laughs> well I hope you did. It it was read on stage. I I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It was, but that's what I'm saying. We didn't even know, and it was afterwards. We we're like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> that it, it's so great to have these kind of traditions going, and and. Uh, who do you credit for having the foresight? I know, obviously, you know, when you guys started putting on the uh, the readings, right. it, you know, it became obvious you had a hit. But, but right. Uh, well, I I think the initial idea we credit Damon Kiley okay. um, for doing the stage reading. He's a very Absolutely. talented guy, and now he's at DePaul, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say the entire experience, taking it to the full fledged production and making it the warm tradition, turning it into. Uh, the thing that we all love, that is definitely Marty Higginbotham without a doubt. 
um, his director, his, his directorial touches are just they're immaculate. And um, Marty uh, has moved to Alabama with his lovely wife Ashley Bishop, who to Alabama. That's usually yeah, that's the Alabama. kind of place you'll want to get away from. <laughs> no, he and Ashley, um, they're from there, born and raised, okay. and. Um, and so he moved there. So for next year, Marty will still be involved, but um, he, because he doesn't live in Chicago, he can't be to the day-to-day rehearsals and all. So Damon's gonna um, direct next year, oh, and terrific. Marty will still be involved. Yeah. So we, it's one of those things we just we want to keep it in the family, and and because um, it just it means so much to us and the Chicago community. Well, you ca- casting, uh, you tend to to use your ensemble people, but like this year, you've added a few people at. Uh, but of note, yeah. I think have added a lot to the show. Yeah, uh, Michael Mahler, Dara Cameron, and uh, Zach Kenny. Uh, they are fantastic. Michael Mahler is doing something that I just I have no idea how to do that. He's playing two tracks in one. He combines the pianist with the announcer, and he does it all. Uh, at the same time, it's a little bit like uh, patting your head and rubbing your tummy. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea how he's capable of well, doing Well, Michael's it. a major think, talent. Oh, my gosh, is he ever, and as is his wife. But the thing in rehearsal that was so funny with Michael is that we would say, oh, we have this jingle, and this sponsor's coming back. And we do jingles in the show, uh, little commercial breaks. And there are local um, businesses that support us. So, for example... Um, our dry cleaning in the show is actually done pro bono by Debram Dry Cleaners. So, as a thank you for them doing our dry cleaning, we give them a little jingle. Oh, so, so yeah, I thought they were actual. That. They were actual. Yeah, jingles. But, no, <laughs> everyone is exactly. Everyone is actually uh, businesses who help us out. Um, so, so we said there was a jingle that we didn't actually have um, music for. And uh, trust me, I cannot sing to save my life. So we're trying, we're just trying to give him the melody, the tune. And Michael listens to it. And then uh, we have one tiny, tiny recording. And he listens to that one time, Tom, once. He goes to the piano and he picks it out. And he goes, uh, is that it? Is that the jingle? And we're just all just in shock that he has that type of ear. It was just phenomenal. Well, you know, he's written many uh, musicals, and he currently has a beautiful folk bluegrass musical going at uh, yeah, Provision Theater. It's yeah. beautiful. It should just show you oh. his talent. So I, I, I just knew that he he was involved with those commercials when I heard him play. Them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he wrote two of them. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But the the all around warmth of the show. Uh, Certainly is 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 a I think a uh, an excellent uh, commercial for American Blues Theater. What you guys do, oh, thank you. Because let's talk about a couple of your past shows before we talk about what you have coming up. Tobacco oh, sure. Road and Waiting for Lefty were two oh yeah unbelievable. And Waiting for Lefty, what did you have about a thousand people in the cast? I, mean, oh, I know, right? They didn't even all fit on the stage. <laughs> Twenty-seven. And if you saw the dressing rooms backstage. They fit uh, comfortably two people each. So typically, um, you know, the largest cast size we had back in those dressing rooms had, had been nine people. Tobacco Road was a cast of nine. It's a Wonderful Life is a cast of uh, eight or nine, depending. And when we uh, decided that we needed more people for Waiting for Lefty, the first thing our production manager did, she shot me a look. She was like, 
how are we going to do that? And we just laughed because I said, I don't know, but that's the fun of creating theater is yeah. figuring out the house. And, um, and so the cast of 27, they were just brilliant. They were so lovely. And to have 27 people packed in like sardines and not a single fight, everyone got along. Everyone was supportive. It was, it was really, it was really cool. Well, I'll tell you, the, the staging was cool. How you were able yeah. to move these 27 people around and keep us focused where we should be. Because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that one of the difference between theater and film is film the camera or television. The camera determines what we look at. But on stage, it's where our eye goes. And Absolutely. A, and a cast of 27, you know, there could be distracting business going on that takes you away from the story. But it, it didn't. It was just a brilliant, I thought, a, a brilliant work. And how did you get so many talented actors to, to come and commit to, a, what was it, basically a 65-minute show? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of that has to do with, I think, the thematic nature of Waiting for Lefty and where we are um, in society right now. Um, also, I think it has to do with Kimberly Sr., people wanting to work there. I, I think also people wanted to work with Blues. But but mainly, it's just that feeling of family that people get when they work at Blues. I, I can honestly say, I, I've been in the ensemble now, good God, 14 years, 15 years, and there's just something about having an artistic home and having a place where you can um, take risks and you can you can talk theater and maybe your idea is 100% wrong. It could be the worst idea in American theater history, but at least it'll be listened to. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and how um, and I, how few uh, ensemble theaters we really have in this town? We have a few, and you guys are probably. Yeah. Uh, Probably the best is certainly the the one that stands out. That, that and, and Remy Bumpo's another one, and and the actors mm-hmm. I've all told me from, from the various groups that right that that freedom to be who you are and the yeah. ability to trust the other actor on stage comes from working together often. Exactly, and and also there's a there's a great pleasure in seeing people play roles that a they might not be cast at another place for. And and seeing the differences, for example, um, Susie Petrie in Waiting for Lefty, I thought she was brilliant in that role as the stenographer, and it was yes. great to see her do something um, that she was wise, she was witty, she was funny, and it was it was really great to see her do that um, uh, in that capacity. So. so tell us about Tobacco Road. I thought that was brilliant. Okay, Tobacco Road. Dennis Cockrum had been wanting to do that for 20 years. And uh, he is one of his favorite um, plays uh, from the novel, of course. And uh, our ensemble, we finally, I guess back in around 2008, we were all, fine, the stars had aligned and everyone agreed um, that this is the show that we wanted to do. And so we had the entire ensemble backing it. And um, to, to do it, the goal was to try to get as many ensemble members or artistic affiliates involved as possible. And I can honestly say every single cast member <laughs> is an ensemble member or an artistic affiliate out of nine. And that is a huge coup. And getting, that was the thing, to get Carmen Roman, to get Jim Lemming, Dennis Cockrum, and Kate Buttickey all on the stage at the same time. And also, uh, we had, uh, Susie Petrie was in that as well, Laura Kuzma, Matt Brumlow. 
uh, myself, James Joseph, just to get those people to carve out two months of their life and sacrifice much larger paychecks. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of people the people are working for peanuts. <laughs> well, you're in a small, you're in a 99 yeah. seat. It's a terrific, uh, intimate theater, but. Right. It it was one of the, the events of that year because uh, I can't remember seeing a better cast in a show. I mean, it was oh, it was like you. a Steppenwolf show or a Goodman show, but on, on oh, a fraction of the budget. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, if we had those budgets, we could do maybe you know twenty shows a year. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah. Now tell us what you have coming up because uh, I think our our listeners will be uh, interested to hear your your show coming up. This winter? Sure, sure. Um, so next fall, uh, we have Love Me Some Amnesia, which is a world premiere by two-time Pulitzer Prize nominee Jane Still. And this will actually be the first play that will be seen in Chicago of James, and he is a brilliant writer. And um, in the cast, we have ensemble member Steve Key who uh, was on the August Passage County Broadway tour. One of my favorites, and, yeah. He's, he's oh, strong. Oh, he's such a great actor, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we have artistic affiliate of ABC and former VGA founding uh, artistic director, Dennis Dotek. And then we have um, guest that's artist. Reason, Howie... that's, reason, that's reason enough to come see the play, to see Dennis <laughs> after all <laughs> the Dennis. years of building Victory Gardens and being such a brilliant director. Uh, seeing him on stage, I, I he mentioned that to me when I interviewed him as he was leaving Victory Gardens. He said, "Yeah, I want to get back on stage." And I go, "I didn't, I, I didn't know he was ever an actor." Oh yeah, he yeah. he helped put us on the map back in 1985. He was in our very first show, Dogman's Last Stand, and uh, he was an actor in it with our founding uh, members. And so when I approached him to do this, he read the script. And he called immediately. He was like, "I'm in." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and he, that's he was set. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? And we also the third person in the cast is Howie Johnson, who did the I think what was it a nine month run of Killer Joe. Oh yeah, Howie's been around. He, yeah, he's good. He's good character oh, yeah. actor. Yeah, he's great. So the three of them are just gonna knock it out of the park, and it's it takes place in a small town, and it's three men. Uh, waiting at the night, drinking and arguing about uh, a high school football game that happened 20 years prior. And uh, boy, a lot of people be able to relate to that because you can go <laughs> right? into any neighborhood bar and hear arguments <laughs> like that. So yeah, I it, we're so looking forward to it. So how did you come up with this play? Because uh, I don't know this author, uh, James. Yeah. I, I had the fortunate luck to meet him at Indiana Repertory Theater. Uh, it's a theater that I love, a Lord Theater down in Indianapolis. And uh, he saw me do uh, Our Town down there. I played Emily. And he sent me a little email that was so supportive and loving and just saying, you know, that he really appreciated my acting work. And then we started talking and we found out that we are from the same small town or not the exact same but within 30 minutes of each other in Kansas and you don't get very many people from this little town of Kansas. Not <laughs> in so the arts we, that's for sure. No, no and so we continued having a friendship and then it turned into a really great collaborative relationship and he directed me and two other 
productions down at IRT. And I have to say, my fa- he is hands down one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with. And he's a great playwright. And I've been re- I've read uh, probably about five or six of his scripts. And we knew at ABT that we wanted to produce his, his work. And as a gift, honestly, he showed me the script. And he said it's a world premiere. And he saw Tobacco Road as well. He wanted to see our ensemble and the work that we do. And he said that he would be willing to give us that gift. And we, of course, jumped at it. And it's it's perfect for our mission and our ensemble and, you know, the gritty theater that we do. So we were very lucky to get it. Very well, well, nobody does Chicago-style theater better than you guys. So it, it, it sounds like it's going to be a perfect fit. So let me ask you, so you you've alluded alluded to this a couple of times. Uh, tell us your your process on how you select plays. It sounds like it's oh. it's more of a group thing than it isn't a dictatorial thing by one person. Yeah. Oh, I long for the days I can be a dictator, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not ensemble theater. Um, so what we do, and this and ensemble theater practice, it it depends for every. Theater, every ensemble theater, they have their their own style. I would say ours is probably um, the typical ensemble theater style, which is you have you read anywhere from maybe a hundred plays, two hundred plays a year, and you have a committee of ensemble members who go through them, and then they sort of take the cream of the crop and submit them to the ensemble, and the ensemble reads them all, and we have staged readings of them, or not staged readings, informal readings, rather, where we sit around and we talk about it, and we talk about, does this match our mission? Can we see our ensemble actors in it, our ensemble designers doing it? Will this will this match our mission and also provide something that our audiences may want to see? And hopefully in time we'll be able to produce more shows uh, in a year, but right now we're doing about two or three shows a year, um, and our ensemble—it's it's majority rules. We do both, and so far, uh, every show that we've selected has been practically unanimous, on, and that's great to have the full support. That's of amazing. The organization yeah. behind it—it it really is. I'm telling Tom to try to get anyone to agree on anything, especially <laughs> in the impossible. arts. Everybody's an expert. I know. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. So to have to have a group like Blues all coming together and agreeing and and going forward and well, making art. It's, part of it is right. you you have such a a skilled group of uh, of artists that that uh, generally they have good taste and and you know and they can they can see a good play they can you know realize a good yeah. play when they see it or read it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you guys yeah. open to submissions from from uh, new writers? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, on our website, uh, people can see submission um, guidelines and how to do that, okay. and they just send it to us. Um, also, we do something called the Blue Ink Playwriting Award, um, and I am very proud of this. Tell it's us a about national, this. It's a national contest um, for sort of the next great play, and um, we select, last year we had over 500 submissions. And we selected uh, Stephanie Walker's American Home. And uh, we're doing the staged reading of it on December 11th. Uh, so I don't know uh, if people can come to that, but that would be a fabulous. And it's following It's a Wonderful Life on that Sunday at 4.30. 
And uh, it's just it's a the the winner receives five hundred dollars and they get a stage reading and a workshop with our ensemble. And uh, it has introduced us to some amazing writers um, all across the country. Well, this is great because uh, uh, Chicago is turning into the home for for new you know writers with the Chicago yeah. dramatist and and Steppenwolf doing their their programs and now now you oh, guys yeah. have this with the awards that is so good and uh there's a lot of there's a lot of talented playwrights and it's just you know they always cry to me how do i get my stuff seen? Yeah. you got to get out it's just like auditioning to be an actor you got to just keep going out and doing it well here's another vehicle that they can so if they go yeah. to your site that's all the guidelines on how to submit both for the both for the contest as well as just regular submissions. We also do a thing called um, uh, Rip the Living Newspaper, and it's a series of stage readings of ten minute plays, and that's a really great way to get um, a foot in the door because we can also do more of those because it's ten minute plays. We can we can feature ten playwrights um, at a time in one event. Yeah, that that is terrific. Well, that's great. I have one more question for you because we're just sure. about out of time. And that would be, uh, where do you see, what kind of shows or, or do you have any plays that, that the ensemble just has to do in the future or would love to do? We do. We do. And we're going to be doing it, uh, in 2013. And I can't, I can't announce it yet. We're going to okay. announce in January or February, All but right. it is one of those that we have been, uh, we have been after and circling and wanting to do for, forever so we actually got the right yeah it's it's going to be fantastic well we'll we'll look forward to that Uh, any chance you guys going back to doing any musicals like i know you guys did tin types that was terrific and that acoustical oklahoma was awesome yeah 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 yeah. no we definitely want we definitely want to uh do musicals in the future it's really just about um sort of getting the business back on track since our rebirth and getting the funds yeah, musicals are expensive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, great. This is this has been great. And folks, get out to see It's a Wonderful Life at the upstairs at the Victory Gardens Biograph on Lincoln Avenue. You run till when? Uh until December thirty first. Oh, till the thirty first. Great. Yeah. It's it's one of the best holiday shows and it's and it's just so heartwarming and it's so well done. Thank you so much. And, oh, thank you, Tom. And folks, go see a play this week.